0: for those of you who remembered to pray for us while we were gone in Alaska uh, thank you we had so many blessings hiking in denali national park playing ultimate frisbee in kayaks preaching in my pajamas eating moose moose tacos nonetheless and marveling at the midnight sun. So Alaska's just different, um, but in some really sweet ways. But most importantly, we got to see and serve another church family. Um, that was why we were there, most of all. So we went to a family camp with this church, and, and I spoke four times there uh, on discipleship. All the sessions, both at camp and in church, were on discipleship, and. The, the camp sessions the kids were in for, so the family participated. We did some acting out some different Bible stories and things, and it was it was a blessing. It's just always such a delight to see and to get to participate in what God's doing and what in another church family. You know, we talked about Hebrews 12 earlier and this heavenly gathering around the throne of God where all the redeemed children really are already there in God's family at his throne. And yet, here we are in these bodies on earth, um, and we gather in these outcroppings of the heavenly gathering, and they're all over the world. And to get to be part of another one, just build your faith, and makes you excited to come back home to your own. And The Sunday before we left, I had just stopped and listened to you all sing, His Mercy is More. And then last Sunday, we were with that church family, and I just stopped and listened to them sing, O Church, Arise. And I was just thinking about all the voices of all God's people, all brought together, and God hears them all. The, the new song of the redeemed from Fairbanks, Alaska, and Marietta, California, and all around the world. So praise the Lord for that. And, and also, just practically, you know, as we're here in this heat wave, trying to survive one of these Southern California summer brutalities, we are wimps, I tell you, because they survive a winter without light. And that is no joke. I mean, that is a war for the soul and faith and relationships, and it is brutal. So my, my hope this winter is that when I fuss about it getting dark at 4 p.m. in December, I will remember my brothers and sisters in Alaska for whom it never gets light through the winter. So they have uh, special ways to depend on the grace of the Lord. All right, we are talking about uh, the elements of gathered worship. We began back in April, a study of biblical worship. We, We first looked at worship in general, and now we're considering the gathered worship of the local church, and we've considered the joy and the necessity of it, who gathers, why they gather, what's the focus, how is God present when we gather, What and where do we gather? And so now we're considering the elements of gathered worship. And by the way, Bible study this morning um, is going to be just a really brief uh, kind of overview, biblically and historically, about—the question is, who decides what we do in gathered worship? Like, we're listing these elements right now as we work through this, but who says so? Uh, Where do they come from? You know, some churches do some things differently— who determines what we do in gathered worship? And so it's pretty, it's very interesting, both biblically and then, and then historically. So I think you'll enjoy Bible study this morning. So we've been talking about the elements, and we've talked about how we open and close services, reading scripture, praying, and giving. And so this morning, we are going to add the element of instructing. Now, as I'll mention again in just a minute, there is no single word that captures this theme. Most often, if you look at a list of elements of gathered worship, you're going to see the word preaching as one of the elements. Um, but no matter what word you choose, it leaves out some things, whether you choose preaching or teaching or... I've chosen the word instructing just because Paul uses it in 1 Corinthians fourteen nineteen When he's talking about gathered worship, he says, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And so there he seems to be using the word instruct to refer to a wide variety of ways in which the Corinthian church was speaking to one another. So that's the way I'm using it, but please don't take it too narrowly. It's not like a a classroom word or something like that. I'm using instruction to sum up all that the Bible says about the ministry of the word, um, and I'll explain that more in just a second. So first of all, let's just review the element of Scripture reading. Which we've learned about previously. The Word of God is read in gathered worship in many ways. So, what we've said is that reading the Bible is the backbone of the service, and we do it in several ways. We have at least one time of dedicated scripture reading, like you saw from Mark chapter 15 this morning. But then there are often other scripture readings, like our opening call to worship this morning. And then we sing scripture, we pray scripture. And then we're going to read a lot of scripture in the sermon itself. So you might even say that the foundational element of gathered worship is reading the Bible. And everything else basically flows out of that backbone. But that then raises an interesting question. Why do we need to do anything in addition to reading the Bible? Or to say it especially bluntly, why would we want to add To God's words. If we can sing songs that are purely Bible, why would we sing a song like The Power of the Cross, which is a meditation upon Bible? If we can read God's word directly, why have a pastor get up and add human words in a sermon? Why not just stick with only God's words? It's a very reasonable question, right? Would we have a more God-honoring worship service if if it only included the words of the Bible and nothing else? But the Bible's own answer is no. If we only read, sang, and prayed the words of the Bible with no other words, we would actually be disobeying God if that's what we did every Sunday and if that's all we did. Now, I am not saying that services should include less scripture. Most churches and most services need more scripture. And as a church, we will continue to try to directly integrate God's word as much as we possibly can in our services. But the point is that when we have made scripture the backbone, the Bible clearly says that we aren't done. Because God calls us to worship him by what we do with the scripture that we have read and sung and prayed. And so I hope it's helpful to say it this way, as you see on your handout. The, the word in gathered worship, the role of the word in gathered worship, includes scripture reading plus instruction plus responses. That's your two blanks there. Scripture reading plus instruction plus responses. So we worship God through reading his word in all the different ways we've talked about. Then we worship God through instructing with his word in all the senses that we'll talk about in just a moment. And then we worship God through responding to his word, both in the moment and then as we go. So first of all, pastors and teachers instruct beyond the reading of God's Word. So in your Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, we've seen this verse already when we talked about the public reading of Scripture, and here he says to Timothy as pastor and leader of pastors, he says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, period. No. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Exhortation and teaching based upon that reading of Scripture. So read it, but then also exhort with it and also teach it. And so this is an exhortation for church leaders and teachers to go beyond Scripture reading to also exhort and teach. Help people understand what the Bible means and what it means for their life, and then urge them to go live in the light of those things. Go over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, Paul writes again to pastors, church leaders, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So in addition to reading the Bible, also work hard to handle it rightly. And if we want to try to put that, that, that idea of handling it, if we want to try to get that into an image, one of the kind of literal meanings of that word was to cut a path in a straight direction, like to cut a road. That the, the Greek dictionary says to cut a road across country that is forested or otherwise difficult to pass through in a straight direction. That's one of the ways that word was used. Cut a path through so that the traveler may go directly to his destination. So I think we could say it like this. If you were trying to choose a church, what should you be looking for in the preaching and teaching? You would look for preachers and teachers who work hard to handle the word of God accurately and in such a way that helps you understand it and understand how to apply it. Ezra chapter 7 verse 10 is on your handout Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his, the Lord's, statutes and rules in Israel. And so then it was Ezra who was in charge in Nehemiah chapter 8. This is a passage we've already looked at recently, when the Levites helped the people to understand the law. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So don't just read it, but help the people to understand it. Look down in 2 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Word of God is the equipment, the sufficient equipment, that the man of God can then utilize to teach, to reprove, to correct, to train. So when the church gathers, first, read the Bible. Let that be the backbone of the service, but don't stop there. Then rightly handle it. Teach it. Help us understand it. And then reprove us, correct us, train us with it. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 4, very next verses. 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Preach the word. Herald it. Proclaim it. Say with authority, thus saith the Lord. But don't stop there. Reprove, rebuke, Exhort with complete patience and teaching. Notice that phrase, complete patience. And that makes clear something that has been suggested through all this, all these passages, and that is that the preacher knows the hearers. He actually has an ongoing relationship with them. That's the only way he could demonstrate complete patience as he preaches to them. If he knows them, if he's walking through life with them. Here in Second Timothy, Paul refers to several specific people and specific challenges in the church that Timothy was pastoring. And he gives Timothy instructions on how to address those particular needs. This is part of the reason why God intends for the Bible to be read and then explained and applied. Because God has called pastors to care for particular church families, to watch for these particular souls to preach the word to this particular outcropping of the heavenly gathering. Matt Merker says it this way, One man preaches, but the presence of the gathered church means that a sermon is a communal affair. It's not a radio transmission to random nameless people, but an address to real embodied members who are known to the preacher and to one another. Right? Right? Worker also says, God's word doesn't change, but each preacher must apply it to his particular congregation. A Sunday sermon shouldn't sound like a message given at a Christian conference. As wonderful as conference sermons might be, it should sound like a father speaking to kids he knows deeply. Technology has made it possible to access sermons from all over the world. For example, SermonAudio.com has passed 2.5 million sermons in their archives so far you've got an eternity's worth of sermons to listen to if you'd like. What a blessing, I mean, for Christians to listen to sermons as they drive and mow the lawn and wash the dishes. That's a wonderful thing. And I encourage you to listen to excellent sermons. And yet, it's not the same as the preaching of your pastors, which you hear while you are gathered with your church family. So we see that pastors and teachers are supposed to read the Bible, and then explain it and apply it to their church family while those people are gathered together so that the word comes with exhortation and encouragement and comfort and rebuke and training. Okay, so when I use the word instructing, I'm talking about all those different ideas, all of those things that we do with the word. So pastors and teachers read the Bible, and then they instruct with it. But, and if you've been at GBC for any length of time, you know we're going to say this. It is not only pastors and teachers who do that. It's the whole congregation. The whole congregation instructs. So I think we have a page turn. The whole congregation instructs beyond the reading of God's word. Once the word has been read and explained and applied, you all have a role in instructing one another with the word. And once again, I mean instruct in the very broad sense. So, for example, 1 Thessalonians 4.18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. So the word has been read. Now the whole church family should take it and encourage one another with it. Or also, sing about it, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it fill the whole household of the local church, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Some songs are direct scripture, like the psalms he refers to here, but others are hymns and spiritual songs that arise from the hearts of the people of God in response to his word. The power of the cross, which we sang, is a response to the word of God, isn't it? So we teach and admonish one another with songs like that. So the word has been read, now encourage each other with it. The word has been read and explained, now take it and sing about it. Also, instruct and admonish one another with it. Romans fifteen fourteen. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. So the word has been read, but now instruct one another with it. That Greek word there in Romans 15, Instruct could also be translated admonish. It can mean to to say to someone, you're not on a right path. This is a dangerous path. So the word has been read. Now encourage one another with it. Sing about it. Instruct each other about it. Admonish one another about it. Matthew 28 says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So we are supposed to help one another understand how to observe what Jesus said. And observe means live it out. How do we go live out what Jesus taught? How does the rubber meet the road? In a sermon, the preacher can't possibly make every application to every scenario. I mean, just look at this room of people. What a diversity of situations and challenges and opportunities. And so the preacher is very dependent on the church family to take the word and talk about it, to work out the applications down into the specifics of your, your lives. And that relates to another interesting category, Acts 17.11, which is exploring the word together. It says, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. These are Jews who are saying, wait, could, is this Jesus really the Christ? Could this be so based on the scriptures? And so I, I, I love to see this happen after our services at GBC, as little groups of people in our church family engage in discussions about what the scriptures mean. So, so you see, as we look through these examples, that when the word has been read and preached and taught, then the whole family takes it and shares it with one another encouraging one another, singing about it, exhorting one another, exploring it together, and all those things. Do you know there's actually a whole set of gifts given by the Spirit of God that are related to sharing the Word with one another? Things like knowledge, wisdom, prophecy, teaching, and exhortation. All of those are named as gifts of the Spirit in the New Testament. And those things are sometimes controversial simply because the New Testament doesn't define exactly what those gifts mean. But the bottom line is that through God's word, by the leading and prompting of his spirit, God uses the whole church family to speak to one another with his word in ways that teach and exhort and encourage and build each other up and make each other wise. By the spirit, we help each other understand it, rejoice in it, apply in it, and then go, go live it. So church does not just consist of worship and music and a sermon. And then you just go home. There is a vibrancy to church life as all of God's people build each other up with the word. All right, so let's back up now to point number one see what we've learned here. The word in gathered worship equals Scripture reading plus what? Instruction. So we've talked about reading, we've talked about instruction this morning, now let's consider responses. And remember that all of this is worship. The reading is worship, the instruction is worship, because in those things we show that that we're, we're taking, we're showing God's worth because we're taking his word so seriously. I mean, even just in everyday human life, when you talk and someone else acts like they don't care what you say, it's just very disrespectful, right? And so when we come and take God's word this seriously, it, it is worship. We are demonstrating his, his worth. So we worship as we read the word and teach the word and encourage each other with the word. But the worship's not done there because now we can worship with our responses. So letter C is everyone can worship by their response to the reading and instruction. Remember Psalm 95 that we talked about a few weeks ago? Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And then, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. The book of Hebrews also talks about this. It quotes those verses from Psalm 95, It says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Hebrews 2.1 says we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Hebrews 5.11 warns us about becoming dull of hearing. We can't be like those whom Jesus said, Matthew 15.8, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So this gets right to our responses. It's great for the word to be read in a service. It's great for that word to be taught and preached and sung and examined and talked about and shared among the church family. But what then if that's the end of it in our hearts? Like mm, That was Interesting. A response has to come from each of our individual hearts. And it helps me to picture that response as a dot and an arrow. The dot represents our response to the word in the moment, in the service. And the arrow represents our response to the word that continues on into our life after we've left this gathering. We worship as we respond in the moment, and then we go back out into a life of worship in the light of the truths we just heard. Remember, we've said before, worshipers come in, that's who gathers for worship. It is people whom Jesus has made into his worshipers. Worshipers come in and gather, and then worshipers go back out. And the gathered worship strengthens them and prepares them to go back out, refreshed and renewed for a life of worship. So a dot and an arrow. So let's talk about the dot first. What kind of response in the moment while we are gathered would show God's worth would would worship him we're hearing the reading and instruction of the word and what's going on in our hearts it might be faith that says yes lord i believe that just during the right before the lord's supper i was thinking about some truths and and you know how when when we gather oftentimes we start to see Things more clearly. We, we we pull away from the world a little bit, and we get instead of just walking by sight, we start to walk by faith. And I was sitting there, thinking about the the blessing of obedience versus the the lies of the passing pleasures of sin. And and as I was being reminded of that and seeing that more clearly, just seeking to say in my heart, "Yes, Lord, I believe that that there is blessing for those who." Turn away from the lies of sin and, and obey you. So that's faith that needed to rise in my heart there. Our response in the moment might be repentance. It might even be tears as we see our sin and confess it to the Lord. It might be yielding, saying, Yes, Lord, to his ways, to his will, to his wisdom in our life. Our response might be prayers. Because his word has drawn us to him with our burdens or our hopes, and from the faith in our hearts, we start praying to him about something. Our response in the moment might be reconciliation right here with people here. When a service ends, we might go right to somebody and seek their forgiveness for wrong we have done. Our response in the moment might be singing, joyful noise, rejoicing, shouting to the Lord, Psalm 95 because we've seen in his word his greatness and his goodness. Those are all examples of responses that are most of them quiet in your heart and yet worship as you respond. And then there are the arrow responses, the ways in which the word sends us back out into the world to worship. We might go out with renewed determination or purpose to go share the gospel. We might go out with a Commitment to do what's right in a difficult situation. We might go out eager to draw near to God, to not neglect the Word this week, to not neglect prayer. We might go home to study this part of His Word and learn more about it, or to get together with brothers and sisters in Christ and and learn more. We might go out seeking God's strength to finally open up, get help with a a, a secret sin struggle or or take steps to cut off some of, some of those things. We might go out with renewed strength to go live as a servant, to go lay down ourselves in sacrificial love in our marriage, or as a child, or as a caregiver, or at work. Those are just examples of arrow responses. Now, in all those things, we have to be entirely dependent upon God. I'm not talking about self-determination. But the point is that those desires, those plans, those intentions, and those steps of action in response to the word and worship, they are worship. That is a life of worship continuing as we go. And he is glorified by those things. So once we've put together all these pieces, we see the word of God, which is ultimately Jesus Christ is this life-giving source at the heart of all that we do. It's like a fountain from which all sorts of worship flow. We start by reading it in all these different ways. Then we take the word that's been read and we do lots of things with it, which I'm summing up with the word instruction today. And then we respond to it, both in the moment and as we go back into life. See how the life-giving word of God has been this fountain from which all this worship has sprung. Scripture reading plus instruction plus responses. Now, uh, there are two other points on your outline, and these aren't so much separate points as much as they're just extra clarification uh, um, about what we're already talking about. So number two, the instruction in gathered worship equals preaching plus much more. Second Timothy 4, 2 Timothy 4.2, we looked at preach the word. And that command there in 2 Timothy 4.2 is loaded up with a tremendous amount of importance in verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. And so from the time of the early church, then to the Reformation, and in recent times, there has been a strong emphasis on preaching. Origen was a church leader in Egypt in the AD 200s who preached through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter. John Chrysostom in the AD 300s preached through most of the New Testament as well as Genesis, Psalms, and Isaiah. The Protestant reformers took expositional preaching very seriously, as did the later Puritans in England and here in America. So preaching is very important. Preaching is central. I don't think I need to persuade this church family about the importance of preaching because it's one of the main reasons many of you are at GVC. And if you look at the list of elements, if you look up lists of the elements of gathered worship, you'll almost always see preaching on the list. And that's true. But I chose not to use preaching as the overarching term. Not because I'm minimizing preaching, but frankly because too many people think that if they go to church and hear a sermon, that's it and they're good And if they find a church with a good preacher who preaches good Bible sermons, and they hear one a week, that's it. But preaching is not the only way in which the Word is delivered. And there are many other Bible terms. I I mentioned some of them earlier. Let me just uh, expound on a couple of them a little bit. There's, There's the word teaching. And the Bible Many times the Bible interchanges the words preaching and teaching, but sometimes there's also some distinction. Here's how we word it in our church's ministry priorities. The terms preaching and teaching overlap significantly in the New Testament, but when distinct, they emphasize the need for both authoritative proclamation of God's message, directed at the will, which is called preaching, and careful explanation of God's message, directed at the mind, which is sometimes called teaching. Now, a sermon often includes both preaching and teaching, but the point is that there is some some nuance here. And then, in addition to preaching and teaching, we've seen all these other words today, like exhort, rebuke, encourage, confront, warn, comfort, explain, admonish, feed. And some of those things happen in a sermon, and some of them happen in other ways. Something else we haven't talked about this morning is all the instruction in a service that's not in the sermon, like the instruction that happens through Scripture reading, through prayers, through songs, through the comments and explanations that connect all those things, through the explanation of what the Lord's Supper means, all those things that aren't part of preaching in the sense of a sermon are instruction. So preaching is essential, and preaching is central but the sermon is not the only way in which the word is, is delivered. And then that connects right to the, the final point there. The instruction in gathered worship is done by pastors. Plus, guess what goes in that blank? You know, right? Everyone. The instruction and gathered worship is done by pastors, plus everyone. Pastors should be uniquely equipped to preach the word to the whole church. They have extra education, lots of ministry experience. They've gone through extensive training and ordination process. They are required by God to be able to exhort with healthy teaching, sound doctrine, and also to be able to refute those who contradict sound doctrine, to guard the flock from wolves. They're involved in the day-to-day shepherding of the flock. And so they are, pastors are uniquely equipped to preach and teach the word for the whole congregation. So I'm not minimizing the importance of pastors, just like I'm not minimizing the importance of preaching. But the role of the word in gathered worship is not limited to pastoral preaching. We could say it begins there, but it doesn't end there. One of the reasons for that is because pastors aren't the only gifted teachers in the church. So, to quote again from our church's ministry priorities, pastors must be able to labor in the word, teach the truth, and expose what is not true, and the ministry of the word should be a chief priority in pastoral ministry. However, a healthy church family will have many other gifted teachers, including women, who are trained and enabled to teach in appropriate settings. So there are other teachers, and not only that, but as mentioned earlier, there are other spiritual gifts related to sharing the word, like gifts of wisdom and and exhortation, and some of those gifts are especially helpful in small groups and in individual conversations and discipleship. So the pastors are going to have a primary role in the instruction, but in a healthy church, the pastors will hardly be the only people gifted to share the word with others. And actually, every one of you can share God's Word with others. Daniel Block writes, evangelicals should rediscover the fellowship and joy of spontaneous and planned sharing of Scripture. The New Testament does not restrict instruction in the Scriptures to church leaders. He says the joy of spontaneous and planned. Spontaneous means you just have the conversation here at church. You're just talking about the sermon you just heard or... Or something that comes to mind from the Word. Planned means you read a verse, you read a chapter in the Bible during the week, and you say, I want to talk to somebody at church about that Sunday. That would be encouraging to have a conversation about. I might be able to encourage somebody else with that verse. You've thought about how to share Scripture. And he says, we need to rediscover the fellowship of that and the joy of that. Romans 15, you are able to instruct one another. You can speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You can encourage one another with God's words. You can search the scriptures together. You see why I'm, I'm putting the emphasis on you can? Because I understand that too many Christians think, I can't. I just can't do it. I don't know how to do it. It's too scary. But you can. You can take that sermon you just heard and then have a conversation about it. Even if the conversation is just, I didn't understand that. (laughs) That's still talking about the word. You can bring a verse with you to church and talk about it with somebody else. You can do it. God says you can do it. His spirit strengthens you to do it. You don't have to be great about it. You don't have to know a lot of Bible. As a matter of fact, sometimes those of us who've been Christians for a long time learn the most from the brand new Christians. Christians. Because they see things in ways that we, we just got stuck in a rut. You might be scared to death, but go ahead and try it. Try to talk about God's word with your brothers and sisters in Christ. God uses disciples to make disciples. God helps us grow through his word through one another. That's so clear in the New Testament. So, I hope that these things we're talking about this morning seem fairly simple. Maybe they seem fairly obvious to you if you've been here at GBC for a while. And yet some Christians don't really know about these things, and they're just looking for music in a sermon. And if there has been worship music in a sermon, then that's church, and they're done. And it's true that worship and music and a sermon are very important to gathered worship. But again, they're more like the beginning than the end. They're the center of gathered worship, but they're hardly the totality. And that's why we often say at GBC, we we come and stay instead of come and go. Because the time together after we've heard the word is very important. And that's why prayer meetings and our, our potlucks, our fellowship meals together, and Discipleship Connect, which we'll have next Sunday, are so important that we build them into our essential church schedule. Because the instruction and in gathered worship involves all of you, not just me, not just the pastors. So, I fear I've over-reviewed this morning, but one more time, this is so important. When we gather for worship, there's this backbone of Scripture reading that runs through the entire gathering. Reading the Bible, singing the Bible, praying the Bible. But then it wouldn't be right to just read, sing, and pray Scripture and then hop in our cars and leave. The scripture that is read should be explained so that people can understand it well. It should be applied so that we know what it means for our lives and how we could live for the glory of God. It should be taught, explained, exhorted, admonished. And those things should be done first of all by pastors, but then by other gifted teachers, and then by the whole church family, using all of our diverse gifts to encourage one another with the word. And in all of that, our responses to the word are worship. That's all worship. And then we respond in the moment, which is worship. And then we respond as we go back out, refueled by God's word, to live as worshipers. That is the element of instruction in gathered worship. And I am so thankful to pastor a church of people who love that, <laughs> to know that what we're talking about this morning is your delight and that you'd fire me if I said something else (laughs) than what I said this morning. You know, it's part of the reason why Grace Bible Church survived. We were a church plant of a 25-year-old kid who didn't know anything. And yet, this church survived. Now, of course, it survived ultimately by the grace of God. But it survived because of people, many of whom were old enough to be my parents, who were able to see past a very young, immature pastor who didn't have a clue what he was doing, to the word of God. And they didn't come for me. They came to come around Christ through his word. And so they stuck with our very bumpy, immature, early years as a church. And some of you are still here. You know who I'm talking to. So I thank the Lord for you and your love for his word. It makes it a joy to be a preacher and teacher of the Bible here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being a God who has spoken words that are the words of eternal life. Thank you that your words came like light into the darkness, like creation, Your words came like keys to the lock on the door of a dungeon. And your words brought life to spiritually dead sinners. And you opened our eyes to our sin, to the judgment of God we were facing for our sin. And then you opened our eyes to the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And you did all of that through your word. And you brought our hearts to a point where we realized that Jesus was a sufficient Savior who had paid it all. And you brought us to repentance and faith in Christ. So we praise you that the word of God has given us life. And that that life-giving word is not just a thing in our past. But is the daily bread upon which we can live today. Thank you for a church family that loves the Bible, that we get to gather to come again to that fountain of life-giving nourishment in your word. Continue to help us, Lord, to grow and develop as a church that we might be Bible-saturated, not just in head knowledge kind of ways, but with heart responses that worship you and go live in lives of worship because of all that you are for us in Christ. We pray in his name. amen. Amen. Okay, we will gather again in about 15 minutes uh, for Bible study and uh, talk about how we come up with the elements for gathered worship. The Lord bless you as you go serve one another and then go out into the world with the word.